1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football, some news on scheduling, Pac-12 stuff, lots of your questions. We've got a big show for you today. We've got Keely Yor in studio, Dan Weber on the line. We'll talk to them in a minute, but just to let you know, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the email address. Or if you'd rather call or text us, we got some texts today, 424 254 9141's number. You can send us a text there or you can leave us a voicemail. Please subscribe on iTunes or any of the podcasting apps out there. Five star rating is always awesome. Leave a positive review. Tell us what you think about the show and tell your friends. You got some USC football friends. The season's getting closer now. You can uh, let them know we do the show all year round. And of course, when the season gets rolling, Lots of cool stuff going on there. Well, let's welcome in uh, Keely Yor. She's in studio. Hello. Welcome, Keely. How are you?
2: Hello, hello. I'm Doing well,
0: thank you.
1: Thank you for coming. And uh, Dan Weber on the line. Hello, Dan.
0: Howdy. How's it going?
1: You know, doing back all right. From
0: ba- back from Bakersfield. Yes. <laughs> hey, we're, we're ready to go.
1: Dan and I were in Bakersfield on Friday night, uh, which was fun, uh, speaking at the uh, Kern County USC alumni club. We had a great time up there. Uh, some very cool people and people that listen to the podcast, talk to us all about that. Uh, and then, uh, Keely and I were all doing recruiting stuff over the weekend. So it was kind of busy. I did the tour to pier on Sunday. So got, got some more photo ops with, uh, Clay Helton and, uh, well, I didn't take a picture with him, but my wife did. And, uh, and, uh, Jake Olson who were down there and they had some random, they had some guy in a number 23 uniform, like full on uniform with like a uh, you know face mask that you couldn't really see his eyes and i was like i talked to him for a little bit he was like some walk on or so i didn't recognize the name at all but they had like a usc football player there you know <laughs>
2: that's kind of random it was kind of
1: random yeah i don't know what it was but uh it was cool clay was great jake was great um and uh you know his girlfriend and stuff were out there we had a good time and uh you know raised a lot of money for cancer charity so thanks for anyone that uh supported my ride i was i end up being so there was 400 bikes there and our bike was uh like probably we raised number seven or six or seven uh of 400 so it was pretty good so jan and i both finished in the top 20 in fundraising so my wife we had a little contest but but i beat her so wow, that's, well uh, done. yeah well done. so yeah we're, for my first year i was pretty excited to be in the top 20 uh fundraising uh so we got a lot of topics and stuff we want to get to today answer your questions. Before I do, I just want to thank uh, Trader Joe's, who's been an amazing sponsor for us over the last couple of years. We love Trader Joe's, going there multiple times a week now. I've felt myself getting addicted to certain things. And then I like to go, if you go to their website, traderjoe's.com, you can find something that's new. Now, I just found these, Keely. These look good. I think they're, I don't know if they're gluten free or not. Uh, Beanie wafer cookies. Oh. or Benny wafer cookies. So they're like these little. Um, so it's a Southern thing. They get it from Savannah, Georgia, but it looks like it's sort of like an Oreo, but it's like more of a, uh, you know, like more of a, a, a regular kind of cookie on the outside, not like a chocolate cookie, but there's like chocolate in the middle of them. Um, so these little wafers and stuff, they look very, very cool. So I like going to the website, checking something out and then going. of course I just buy it, especially if it's a cookie, I'll buy it, you know?
2: Yeah, of course. My roommate actually came home with, they have different type of marinated chicken, you just pick up the marinade, different marinade, and you can just put it on the on the grill really quick, and you have chicken. So yeah, I'm definitely gonna try that out. I didn't know they did that, but apparently they do. Yeah, it's
1: like pre, uh, you know, marinade, so it's already seasoned for you. So you just gotta yeah. grill it up. Yeah, easy,
0: easy peasy. So
1: really good stuff from uh, from Trader Joe's. Have you had those cookies, Dan? They're new, so they're just, no, they're-
0: but I think uh, they they sound really tempting, really, really. Tempting. Yeah. No, my my good Trader Joe's news is they are scouting out. For a location in my native Northern Kentucky, so that's big news back in Northern Kentucky. That Trader Joe's looks like it's coming, so uh, so that's uh, that's a good word.
1: Yeah, nice. Um, all right, well, we got a lot to get to today. So one of the things that came out, so uh, Antonio Morales, with who's with the Athletic, does a really good job uh, covering USC. Our friend from over there uh, had a uh, sit down with Steve Lopes. I think it was. Friday or something late last week and you know talk about the scheduling practices how USC wants to schedule seven home games per year there was a lot of emphasis on this is how you make the college football playoff and one of the big points of contention coming out of that article is that it's not easy to schedule FBS schools every year and you want to try to get more home games like you're saying um, you know they have the built-in one with Notre Dame so and you have nine conference game schedules, so every year, every other year, it's four home conference games, five home conference games, and when USC has four home conference games, they get Notre Dame at home. So it's like five. It's almost like having a ten uh, game schedule in your conference, five and five. But then you got to figure out a way to get uh, home games for the other two games, uh, or a neutral site game every four years. But one of the things that came out of that, Dan and, and Keely, I'll get your thoughts on this too is there's the potential for USC to play an FCS school, which was the old Division I AA, something USC has never done. USC, UCLA, and Notre Dame are the three schools that have never played an FCS school. But now it seems like that is on the table, and that's sort of got uh, USC fans not so happy uh, about lo- losing that. Losing games and stuff during the season is one thing, but traditions are important. And Dan, it doesn't seem like USC fans want to lose that tradition of never having gone down and playing a lower division foe.
0: No, and they shouldn't. Uh, However, you know, if if you trade it off and say we'll go to the playoffs this year, we might have to play an FCS team. What do you say? The fans would all say, "Well, of course, okay, yeah." Yeah." I mean, everybody else has played FCS schools except, which is interesting, and this is why it's so uh, it grabs you uh, if you're a USC fan. You, USC, and your two arch rivals, Notre Dame and UCLA, are the only three that have ever done that. But USC is the only school that has both of its arch rivals on that list. And so USC, that's almost a really special place. You you wouldn't really really want to drop off a list that's USC, UCLA, and Notre Dame, and then it'll only be UCLA and Notre Dame. Uh, That doesn't play really well unless – if you're in the playoffs most every year, you're dominating the Pac-12, they, I don't think the fans would care. I and mean, they care about Notre Dame, obviously. Right. But I don't know that they would care about that tradition. Uh, the problem is, I mean, I just, it's hard to believe when you look, and I know that's, let's face it, when they call the Athletic for a sit-down interview in Heritage Hall, bad news is probably coming out. And they're trying to slide it out as easily as possible as with the Lin Swan kind of when he was, you know, really under the gun a few weeks ago. And they wanted to have a long interview. Uh, and I think with Steve Lopes, the, uh, the rationale is we got some bad news probably coming and maybe we got to get ahead of it. So let's tell uh, let's tell somebody. Uh, and so, and, and maybe somebody who doesn't already have an opinion or hasn't reported on it or hasn't talked about it and, and we'll, we'll kind of slide it out that way. So it looks like, you know, it looks like that's coming. I know there's some skepticism. If you're looking at teams that really qualify as FBS teams, and I was just looking at a quick list, any of the service academies, you would have thought that, you know, all of the service academies might enjoy uh, the ability to come to Los Angeles. I mean, that's a big draw. And when you're a national, you know, school like the service academies, and they're not all, you know, tied into uh, conference schedules that that limit them, you know, so much. uh, Or you've got schools like, you know, Marshall, North Texas, maybe, you know, Graham Harrell School, uh, Old Dominion, Rice, UAB. Texas, San Antonio, Western Kentucky, the Heltons, you know, all of those would count as a, an FBS game. That would keep the streak on um, uh, Liberty, UMass, New Mexico State, Coastal Carolina, UTEP. Uh, and yet nobody and, 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 you know, the rationale we're hearing is those schools just want too much money, that they know USC is kind of desperate to get them into this situation and, um, uh, you know, they, where they got to buy a game and apparently that they've said they've, you know, more than doubled what has been kind of the, you know, cause USC has got sort of a standard fee that you pay Utah state, UNLV, uh, uh who else has been uh, Western Michigan, uh, you know, teams like that, Arkansas state. And they say the price has gone way, 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 way up. And, you know, that's, uh. Yes he's in a tough place. You wish they had had probably uh de- developed some better relationships with the likes of uh san diego state fresno state u n l v uh those schools that aren't you know that far away that could easily you know justify a trip to Los Angeles because they recruit here so much so uh so I don't know. There, there's not a lot else they could do other than if they could convince the Pac-12 to go to an eight-game schedule, and then you've got four games to play with, like the uh, the SEC teams do, and uh, and maybe USC and UCLA should go together and try to you know push the uh, the Pac-12 really hard there, uh, but. Uh, but I think there's some news coming down the pike in the not-too-distant future that's going to have some teams on there. And we're talking about teams like uh, Eastern Washington, Northern Arizona, uh, Cal Poly, uh, Cal Davis. Those schools, I think, would be my guess is, is what you're looking at.
1: Yeah, and it's, uh, it, I, it's funny, Dan. If this was... There's three programs that have never played an FCS school: Vanderbilt, USC, and Boston College. I don't think people would care, but because it's Notre Dame, UCLA, and USC, you don't want to be the guy, you know, the program that drops off uh, of that list. And you know, it, it sounds like I'm I'm agreeing with you on this. It's sort of like a preemptive strike. They're going to throw that out there, like, "Hey, we could end up playing an FCS school," and then. Here we are, you know. Here they announced playing in an FCS school. We
0: told you. We told you.
1: And you know, it's like it it's one crowded. of the. It's one of those things, like, you know, we're seeing all these other programs scheduling games really far out in advance. It's been a few years since we've seen that happen from USC. So my guess would be, Dan, that this this was something that you're figuring out a problem too late. Like, oh crap, it's too late now. We can't schedule some of these. Old Dominion's already scheduled, or whatever. Um, they've already scheduled this out 10 years ago. We needed to get on the ball, you know, two, three years back and do that. So, uh, you know, if they're trying now, that's one thing. That's great. But I, I feel like this was probably uh, a mistake that was made a few years back. So there's going to be some holes that they didn't fill fast enough. And maybe they change their philosophy and all that. But to say it's like this is how you make the playoff when, I really haven't seen, you know, if you really want to make the playoff, then you got to pitch to the Pac-12 like you said. Hey, eight-game schedule, that's the ACC and the SEC are always in there. They have eight-game conference schedules. If you really want to make the playoff, that's the way to go. So it, it, it is, seems like a little bit of a mixed message coming here, Dan.
0: Yeah, and, and, and you know, maybe the the solution is it down the road to, to go the Notre Dame route. Uh, Notre Dame plays half of uh, of an ACC conference schedule. And then they, they've got the ability to – to, you know, schedule to their fan base and they can, you know, schedule a game in San Diego and they can schedule, you know, in New York City and they can schedule in, you know, Baltimore or Philadelphia, uh, wherever they want to go. Notre Dame has got that kind of, you know, freedom. Uh, and, and you just wonder how, how many of these things you keep adding up about staying in the Pac-12 make sense when we look at the other stuff that's happening in the Pac-12 you just wonder if USC you know needs to get it together obviously USC needs to do what USC needs to you know to do uh before maybe worrying about the Pac12 but maybe you need to see the you know see them come together but uh it it makes it awfully difficult uh you know i mean and it clearly when UCLA is announcing that they're going to do home and homes with uh, LSU and Michigan and you know Georgia, whatever, all those really good games. And there have been a lot of really interesting games uh, announced for Pac-12 teams in the last couple of weeks. Uh, You would hate to be USC coming on and saying, well, here's our new uh, schedule uh, opponents and they're going to be FCS teams. Uh, Doesn't exactly, you know, that's not a uh, PR you know that's not a good day PR wise if you're a USC when you're going to come on and announce you're going to break the tradition and you're going to add and, and it's probably you know the difference between western michigan and say uh you know eastern washington may not be you know much at all but uh it's just the idea that you're giving up on on something that that's really mattered uh, to USC and um and Notre Dame and UCLA. And, and you hate to be the one to give that up of those three because there's probably no reason for Notre Dame and UCLA ever to do that. And and I think you wish USC would just bite the bullet and figure out, we got to get this done no matter what it takes. And we're not sure that that's happening.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Dan's premonition is, though, if you're a big USC fan and you love the fact that they've never played in an FCS school, Dan's thinking that's going to change at some point. So. Uh, we will see. There was an article from CBS Sports that came out today that I wanted to um, go over with both of you guys. So they basically ranked uh, all of the uh, Power Five head coaches um, and in the Pac 12 specifically. So I'll kind of go down in reverse order. So Mel Tucker, the new coach of Colorado, he's actually 64th of 65 overall, number 12 in the Pac 12. Uh, Jonathan Jonathan Smith, uh, Oregon State. They hired him in 2018. He's 63rd, just one spot ahead of him. 11th in the Pac-12. This one's interesting. Herm Edwards at number 10. Um, you know, his first year, he actually finished second in the Pac-12 South and went seven and five. But they have him 54th overall. Uh, Clay Helton is 51st overall, a couple of spots ahead of Herm Edwards. He's number nine in the conference. Justin Wilcox, uh, number 50 overall, number eight in the conference. Mario Cristobal is number seven from Oregon. Uh, he's 41st overall. Kevin Sumlin uh at Arizona is number 40 overall. That seems a little high for what yep. he's done. Mostly, you know, some of the AM stuff, but um, he's sixth and so he's in the top half. Mike Leach is fifth. Uh, he moved up after having a you know 11 win season last year. He's number 20, though. So he's 20 overall in the uh power five. Kyle Whittingham, number four. This is too low for sure. Uh, he's number eighteen overall. This one I probably have the most issue with. Chip Kelly, number three, fourteen overall. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. I, I, you know, Dan wasn't a big fan of hiring Chip Kelly. I thought he was going to be the best coach available out there, but he was at Oregon in 2012, and he went three and nine last year. I'm not going to put him ahead of Kyle Whittingham in the yeah. uh, in the order there. Then number two, David Shaw. He's number nine overall. And Chris Peterson, they have him as the third best coach in the country, uh, number one in the Pac-12, which makes sense. But uh, Dan, get your thoughts on that. We'll get Keeley's too. Yeah,
0: I, I would agree with uh, with Chip Kelly. I mean, I, I think you, if you're going to drop Clay the way I think they dropped him twenty spots uh, for last year, I think you got to do the kind of the same thing for Chip Kelly. And I think it's it's not just okay they had the USC game. but uh, uh, other than that and the recruiting effort. And just the sense about the program, uh, you know, maybe it's harder to, you know, to drop guys, uh, you know, I don't know. If you're going to drop Clay 20, uh, I don't think there's that much of a problem. You know, I agree. I don't know what Kevin Sumlin has done, even at Texas A&M, to warrant, you know, to be in the top half of the Pac-12. I I don't see it at all. I certainly didn't see it at at Arizona. Um, Let's see. Uh, As far as David Shaw... Again, I think there might be some erosion there in terms of uh, where they're going and where that program is going. Uh, and uh, So, you know, in terms of the holding on, uh, uh, I probably wouldn't have him that high. And, and Kirk Peterson, you know, just has that, you know, uh, effect on people like, you know, read our board, and he's the guy USC passed over, and uh, he, that forever enshrines him. Is one of the coaching greats of all time. I mean, I don't think there's that's just how it works. Uh, You've done it, obviously, a good job. That and the winning, you know,
1: the winning helps too. (laughs) But
0: but you do a good job at Washington. (laughs) Washington's a good job. I mean, he's done a good job. He's in the Pac 12, though. I mean, I think people just, you ought to be at a program like, you know, Washington or UFC, you ought to win in the Pac 12. I mean, you you know, for a while it was like, wow, the North is so tough. And you think, the North is tough? I mean, come on, it's the Pac 12. But, uh, but yeah, I would, I would, you know, kind of agree with you on the ones that, that look like they're over, overranked. Uh, last year's season for USC was bad enough. The UCLA game was so horrendous. Uh, the fact that they didn't get better at all. They didn't compete in so many games where they just lay down and, you know, gave up 34 straight points, uh, and had no answers at all. Uh, a little bit in the uh, Arizona State game, which they lost, but they cut the offense down, and they were a little more focused uh, for Jack Sears. And then they got focused for uh, 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 JT Daniels in the Notre Dame game, and they decided to go with their strengths and go all out and make a commitment, uh, you know, to throw in the ball. And if they don't put it on the ground a couple of times and what have you, they, you know, but, again, that was game 12. Uh, and, yeah, I don't know that you're getting paid pay three point. Two million dollars. You probably ought to have your team show up before game twelve, uh, and that just didn't happen. So, you know, these rankings or, or whatever you you want, you want to make of them, but it's hard to argue them other than you know on the margins a little bit. How
1: about you, Keely? Any uh, anything stand out to you?
0: I kind of agree with
2: everything you guys said. I don't. I didn't really. Like, I didn't really get why Chip Kelly was so high. I also thought. Uh, Kevin Sumlin being number six was a little too high. I always just think about the was it the eighteen flag palooza at the end of the <laughs> USC game that was just a brain drain. But you know, I think Kyle Whittingham deserves to be higher, especially higher than Chip Kelly. Um, but you know, rankings are, are kind of weird that way. But I, I agree with everything you guys said. I think it's just it, not really agree with all of it. But
1: It's I th- funny I got in some arguments with some people on Twitter, and there are some people are like Hilton should be twelfth, and like well he he still won the Rose bowl and he won the PAC 12 championship. And then some people are like, well, Chip Kelly should be that high. Well, cause he did something, you know, eight years ago. Like it's weird that they try to use a double standard and it's all subjective obviously, yeah. but yeah. they want to try to use the like. Okay, I don't like, you know, I think Chip Kelly is a really good coach, but from what I've seen and there's a, there's questions from real UCLA people are like, this might not work. And I, and to give Dan credit, he was saying that from the beginning where I was like, no, he's going to kill it. He didn't kill it last year. Now, they got better. He didn't really try to recruit very hard, um, and that's the whole point of being at UCLA. They're recruiting better now. I think they're going to be better now. But just from that and what he did at Oregon eight, nine years ago, I'm not putting him above, like, a Kyle Whittingham who's in and, you know, every year he's just – he's taking a lot less and and doing a lot more with it. So, um, I mean, you could argue Whittingham's number two, like Dan was saying, uh, behind –
0: Peterson, yeah, yeah. I could almost argue that he's number one uh, when you consider what each program, you know, uh, Washington against Utah, you almost might say, um, you know, Whittingham that there's nothing to you know choose between Whittingham and, and, and Peterson that, that, that they're, they're right there. But yeah. there's not a, there's not a one to four uh, difference. I don't think at all. No. And then some people guys. will throw
1: in like, well, USC has more talent. So they're going to, so the people are kind of judging on a scale. Like, yeah, USC should have certainly been better than the talent than five and seven last year. It's, you might ding, you know, Clay Helton more for going five and seven with way more talent than you would ding uh, like a Justin Wilcox or something. Um, but they actually did. They, they went seven and five. I think it went to a bowl game. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's uh so it's the whole do more with less or less with more. So people that all come into to play, but, For for Chip Kelly, it's just like that's for me. That's just too high right now. As someone that came in thinking he was a really good hire, I just felt that's too high.
2: Yeah. Do you think Herm Edwards deserve deserves to switch places with Clay Helton? He's one below, but I mean, you had a winning season. They
1: they finished second in the South, you know, and like there was, and I bashed him as much as anybody. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it came away like now, I think we'll have a better feel this year because they did have like Manny because they had a lot of veteran leadership and Nikhil Harry. I mean, he inherited like a really good team, a team that finished second in the Pac-12 South the year before, and they still fired their coach, which was baffling. But now it's like, okay, but I feel like he's put a really good staff together. They're recruiting well. So I don't think there's going to be some huge drop-off. So yeah, that, that did seem a little low to me. Um, I don't know. What do you think Dan about Herm?
0: Yeah, I did actually. I I was surprised. Although I don't know that people were excited about his team that's coming up this year so uh i mean i don't know if that played into it uh, you know a little bit or not and uh but uh you know he beat usc and he had a winning record um it would be i just think he's a, they're in wait and see mode i think with her uh, uh, get a little more evidence in. but uh but yeah that probably surprised me a little bit
1: yeah i guess they can't uh yeah whatever i don't know we'll see I've, i think i've turned I'm not saying like Herman Edwards is going to be the greatest coach, but he's done better than I thought, so I don't want to like keep bashing him just because I started bashing him. You know, it's like, hey, that's good. Um, There was also yesterday a uh, Pac-12 conference call, sort of a news dump uh, in the Pac-12. The financial statements were released. We got a. uh, There was a a call with uh, Larry Scott, who, as you know, is the uh, commissioner. Uh, of the Pac-12, but also the CEO group that was there. So it's uh, Philip De Stefano. He was the, he's the uh, chancellor and chair, uh, chancellor of the University of Colorado. Uh, but he's the chair of the Pac-12 CEO group. So both of them spoke. There were some questions. Dan asked a question, uh, but it was kind of a dull, dullish, uh call, I guess you could say. A lot of uh, just you know hype speak and stuff. They said, "Oh, we're all excited about this. We're excited about that." Um, but Dan, what did you think about that, that call overall?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would be a little nervous if I'm, uh, like Dave Hirsch, uh, vice president for communications and I go out with a, uh, you know, a conference call and Dennis Dodd got on right away and asked, uh, the appropriate question. You take in 497 million, you, uh, distribute 354 million, which is by far the lowest percentage of revenue distributed to the members, uh, of the PAC five schools. And what's the deal here? Why, why do the PAC-12 schools get a lot lower percentage? And Larry always goes to, well, we have our own network and nobody else owns their own network. And so you can't really compare us to anybody else. And, you know, you take our network out, blah, blah, blah. So that was, uh, that was a good question. Okay. The next guy, you couldn't hear him. <clears throat> and at this point, I'm thinking, I don't know if I really want to ask, because you're not going to get probably an answer that's worthwhile. But it was sort of like a mercy, I hit the star one. And there I go. I get the next question because they can't hear the, <laughs> the number two guy. So I asked Larry, I mean, the, the thing I've got to wonder about is you, uh, the Pac-12 needs an infusion of cash. And they're not getting it from their TV contracts, the, the, the 12-year TV deal uh, that's been passed by everybody else. Uh, and they're certainly not getting it from the network. So they're trying to sell off like 10% or whatever number, we, we really don't know for sure where these negotiations are going, to private equity guys who would own a part of the network's uh, media rights. So basically all 12 schools are going to toss in their media rights and merchandising and all of that and hopefully get an infusion of cash. Uh, I think originally they were talking $750 million. now they're maybe $500 million. Nobody knows what those rights are worth and the question I've always got is, so USC throws in all of its media rights and merchandising and all of that, and Oregon State throws in all of it, and each of them take out the exact same amount. Each of them get a twelfth. And I'm thinking, how smart is that for USC or UCLA or Washington? Uh, I'm not sure. But the second part of that is, if they make a deal and they do get the $500 million, which they... Uh, distribute to all the schools to try to make up the gap between the, you know, the sec and the big 10 for what each school is getting per year. How long does that get, is that go? I mean, is that in perpetuity? I mean, could you leave the PAC 12 and still leave 10% or however much of your rights forever with these uh, investors who've, uh, who bought them? Well, Larry didn't have an answer for that. that's the kind of thing, you know, we've got to work out or whatever. One would think that USC and UCLA wouldn't do any kind of a deal that would bind them past the 2023-24 year when all the TV contracts are up. I would think, you know, we understand that the new new president, Carol Folt, was there and that that was a lot of the talk was uh, what are they going to do about, you know, getting this kind of uh, infusion of cash? And you just hope USC does not give away you know rights into the future because i know larry one of the things he said was well a lot of these schools have signed more than 12-year contracts now and that's the last thing usc and i think ucla want to get locked into is this super long deal where even if they leave they can't take their rights with them uh that would be i think really really foolhardy but that was That was about it as far as the news. uh, There was no mention on the call of the fact that even though the Pac-12's revenue is down and down from projections, and the distribution to the schools is basically flat, Larry Scott went from 4.8 million a year to 5.3 million (laughs) a year, plus uh, a perk that he he can travel first class whenever he so chooses. And from what you understand, Larry so chooses, yeah. he will go first class. <clears throat> just a guess. Yeah. When they don't, when they don't, uh, when they don't charter a private, private plane. Uh, but uh, uh, it's not a good look. I think the other part of it is interesting. This is the second press conference in a row, uh, including the one in the basketball tournament in Las Vegas, where Larry has had a minder sitting there. It's not just Larry now. Larry's had uh, Chancellor of the Pac-12 CEO group, Phil DeSpefido from Colorado, as his uh, in there with him. And it's interesting that would have been Max Nikias. Max Nikias was named for this year. Max was to be the chair of the Pac-12 CEO group, and USC that would have given USC some leverage and some maybe ability to. To influence things, so in his leaving the USC presidency, that also took Max out of being the uh, uh, the chair of the CEO group, and I, I think he had kind of figured out, as many people have, that uh, that Larry Scott hasn't uh, advanced the cause of the Pac-12 all that much, but. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's where yesterday left us.
1: Yeah, and there were, so there were some, you know, uh, John Wellner tweeted out and put out a story like the financial breakdown earlier. And so uh, you felt like Larry Scott was sort of like trying to be, he said they were going to be more transparent because we did more than the actual minimum because the Pac-12 would do the the very minimum of what reporting was and make it really hard to try to figure out where all the money is. But well, now...
0: For, uh, for years, For years, the schools themselves... We're not permitted to have that information. Yeah. Or when the athletic directors last year said, We'd like to see the financials, they were told, You can't have them. The athletic directors at the Pac 12. So now they're going to dump all this information out. I think they realize uh, sports writers aren't accountants, you know? And you look at all these numbers and you just think, Okay, I mean, and they just say, oh, well, we're, we're doing comparable to the other conferences. And that's just totally not true. I mean, it's not even remotely close to uh, where the Pac-12 stands with regard to, uh, you know, the Big Ten, the SEC, and the uh, Big 12. Who, uh, it's amazing that the Big 12 shot by the Pac-12 without a, without a championship game and without uh, a network. And then the ACC is starting a new network this fall with, uh, with ESPN, which will put it past the PAC 12 easily. Uh, and so, you know, when Larry came in, you know, he got that first big deal with ESPN and Fox that, uh, got the PAC 12 to number one overall. And now by next year, he will have seen the PAC 12 go from first to fifth of the power five conferences. So they've gone back down to where they were when Larry came in. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not sure that's a, that's a, a record that you should be getting, you know, 5.3 million. And I saw, I guess, uh, Jim Delaney finally at the big 10 finally got paid for all of the stuff he's done. And I think he had a big bonus last year, which got him above Larry. Uh, but normally in most years recently, Jim Delaney, uh, had been making you know, about half of what, uh, what Larry's been making, but, uh, but he got, looks like a one-time bonus that pushes him just barely above, uh, uh, you know, above Larry. But uh, for producing so much more wealth, uh, you know, for the Big Ten. I know you got into a, a little bit with the uh, yeah. with the Iowa people. Right? I got,
1: so, you know, sometimes I'll get on Twitter and I'll like just push some people's buttons and make them mad. And I did that <laughs> yesterday. Uh, so, you know, there's some fan bases that are really, you know, I don't, I don't know, Keely, are the Angels fan bases sort of like, uh, like, very sensitive. Like, if you say something like, hey, hey, we won the World Series in 2002, like, no, get, like, we're,
2: we're defeated.
1: Okay, defeated. <laughs> we're very but there's, sad. So, like, Iowa is a really nice program. You know, they're probably top 30 in the country or something. And they actually have really good revenues. Um, They're probably top 20 in like revenues and stuff that they're generating or whatever. But, you know, it's Iowa. They, they live in Iowa. You know, Iowa City has 76,000 people. Uh, One of the things I tweeted out, I'm like, Iowa City has 76,000 people. The 405 freeway has 400,000 cars on it per day. Like that's one of the freeways in LA. So just trying to go out. But the the point was the Big Ten in 2018 made, distributed $54 million to each school. The SEC was 43.7. The Big 12, 36.5. And that doesn't even include their local TV rights. So they're ahead of the Pac-12. And the Pac-12, like Dan said, stagnant 31.5. 3 million. So about $23 million per school less for the PAC 12 than the big 10. And so what I tweeted out was like, so USC, a blue blood program in the number two media market in the country is making $23 million less or made last year from their TV rights. than I said, Rutgers, Maryland, in Iowa, just picking like, you know, basically anyone that's not Michigan. My point was anyone that's not Michigan or Ohio state, that would make yeah. sense. Well, the problem is a well, cu- couple of problems. One, well, Iowa, Iowa fans are crazy. We'll go over that too. But first thing Rutgers and Maryland still don't have full shares and they're borrowing against it. They might not have shares for years, full shares. So those are, that was kind of a point of contention, but you could throw in Purdue or Illinois or Northwest or any of those schools yeah. that aren't like, traditional powers that aren't in like huge markets um USC's making 23 million less than them and Iowa I threw in there too now of those programs Iowa was the best football wise pedigree wise but they're not Michigan they're not Penn State they're not Ohio State but Ohio uh, Iowa fans were so upset that we they meant I mentioned them in the same breath as Rutgers or Maryland and, and they're well, like
0: that's what see that's what got them mad yeah that, they didn't want to be in the same mention with the they don't even want to count those teams as being part of the pack, Big Ten. Yeah. They know they brought those two in for the uh, New York City and, and Washington, D.C., Baltimore TV markets. And that's the only reason. But, yeah, uh, if you remember when USC played Iowa in the Orange Bowl, their fans were – it was like, you know, who is USC? How do they even think they have a right to play us? We're the Big Ten teams. We're <laughs> Iowa. It was like, wait a minute. You people, you were, we kept trying to tell them in the run-up to the Orange Bowl, you don't know what you're talking about. There's no comparison. It was like they hadn't heard of USC. I mean, it was like the strangest fan base in terms of how they perceived themselves. Yeah. And then it was obvious in that game that there was there was no comparison. I mean, it was just, uh, they had a 5'11 quarterback, who, Brad Banks, who 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 was the Player of the Year for AP, and he couldn't out. You know, Carson Palmer, you know, was like six five and two hundred twenty five pounds, and he could outrun Brad. I mean, Banks couldn't outrun USC's, you know, linebackers or tackles or whatever. It was like, it was like, you know, it wasn't any contest in terms of of, of football players. And, and and then when you look at tradition, it was like if Iowa people not watch the Rose Bowl or or what I mean did they really they were really I mean they were not happy that USC was even in that game it was like they don't belong here who are they and then they got it was a very strange reaction and
1: then the the weird thing too is like so they're you know they're tweeting at me and they're like really it's just I'm like look I tell them 10 times this was not a shot at Iowa Iowa is just the only I'm grouping anyone that's not Ohio State or Michigan (laughs) They're anyone in the, like they're not a blue blood program in the big 10 and they're not in a big market. They're going to make a crap load more money than a blue blood program in the number two media market. Like that's the whole point of the story. Yeah. And, but it was just this real defensive thing. even Zach Johnson, the, you know, what did he won the masters? Like the, uh, he tweeted at yeah. me like at the, he like tweeted really? like, yeah, <laughs> like he put a map of the best uh college towns in America and California had San Luis Obispo and Iowa City was the best in Iowa. Was I don't know how many college towns there are. There's two Ames and, and
0: Zach you know, Johnson uh, went to Drake for God's sake. Yeah, I, but heck? he's
1: from Iowa, right? Like he's a big Iowa. Uh, yeah, I
0: think so. But
1: but yeah, yeah they, Iowa I,
0: Drake is in Des Moines. Yeah, he's from Iowa. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's it, funny. It was
1: pretty funny. Like that. Like that's like the kind of stir that that started where all these people are going crazy and and they're like, well, if you look at Iowa, the last several years. First of all, they said they had two tight ends drafted in the first round this past year like yeah okay yeah. that means you're a better program than USC but were, I mean, most people were like fine but there were some people are like if you look at the last 10 years uh Iowa's won almost as many games as, as USC and they're they haven't had the same kind of recruiting classes And I'm like okay I'm like dude for the last 10 years the last decade or so has been a down year for USC and they won three Rose Bowls and two conference championships during that time like Iowa went to a Rose Bowl and got smoked by Stanford during that period. So that's like USC's worst is like winning three Rose Bowls in 10 years. You know, and that's, it's like absolutely baffling that they were getting some of these arguments. I'm like, look, I was a good, I mean, it's fine program. There's nothing wrong with it. It's good. It's like, but it's not a blue blood and it's in a very small market. Someone had to tell me like, oh, Iowa owns the Chicago market. I'm like, what? That's like 250 miles away I, I mean it was just ba- like some of the arguments were just baffling i don't know what to do but
2: can i just jump yeah. in here and say yeah. to the nice people of iowa i'm not a part of this do not at me keely
1: does not like see, i like iowa keely's no, not a fan false
2: that is false i have family in iowa i'm just saying keely could not i point have been to caught iowa up, up in some <laughs> some fan bases sometimes and i'm just saying i was not a part of this i should tag you no the, the, <laughs> no do not zach johnson pga
1: champion you uh it's Keeley's fault
2: yeah i'm the mastermind behind this
1: nice but yeah so uh the moral of the story the the pac 12 makes a lot less money and then what does that really mean well okay i mean the best example i can come up with is for purdue they had the hot coach jeff Brom, and he wanted to go back to you know, everyone thought he was going to go back to louisville well Purdue makes a crap load of money now. They could pay him more. They can pay his assistants more. If USC was going to go try, or try to hire him or some assistants, it's going to be a lot harder to do that taking people away because there's go- they're not going to have the same kind of budget that these other programs have. Non-traditional powers are going to have a lot of money to be able to keep, if they have a hot young head coach, there's more of a chance you can keep him. And, you know, if you're you're Alex Grinch and you're at Washington State, Ohio State can just come in there and pick him to be your plan B defensive coordinator, not even your main one. So those are the kind of things for me are going to be an issue that you can't keep assistance because uh, a, a sm- even a, a team that's not at the same level of whatever team you're talking about in the Pac-12, if it's, you know, if Oregon State and and Northwestern were on the same level. Like Northwestern can do more than Oregon State can, just because they're going to make more money. And same thing, you know, USC and Ohio State. You you know, USC might not be able to get someone for Purdue that they would. That traditionally you could get because now Purdue's making way more money on TV deals.
0: Or USC can't pay uh, an FBS school to come in in a guarantee game uh, because yeah, the SEC schools, let's say can pay a whole lot more or the big 10 schools can pay a whole lot more. And if USC is trying to get one of those same teams, uh, you know, the market rate has gone way up and where the big 10, the sec can pay that USC can't. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's hitting you in a lot of different places.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. I know some people don't care about money, but I just, you know, it's not a good trend when, the bottom dwellers of the Big Ten are going to be making $23 million more than than USC and UCLA and Washington and all that. So, all right, probably enough Pac-12 finances. We should get to some questions i guess keely right yes
2: we actually have football questions which is exciting yeah uh we have a couple questions from steve in poway he says which graduating senior from last year's team will be missed the most by this year's team note he does not need to have he does not need to have been the best player who graduated but the one where they will be the most drop off this year
0: hmm that's a good question uh Probably off the top of my I head, I'd just
1: say Porter Gustin, just because he had huge production, even though he was h- hurt most of the time. He you had a, could say
2: he was missed already
0: in 2018.
1: He was already missed, yeah. He, it, it's kind of proven he was missed. Yeah,
0: true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I think, uh, I do think Aaron Ausmus, uh in terms of the weight room, kind of brings a little bit of that Porter Gustin vibe, so i think they they probably got you know they moved in the right direction there uh when you take porter out of the weight room uh but uh i'm gonna think i think biggie i think iman uh you just weren't that successful you know all the stats show that he you weren't that successful trying to throw against him and you know he was a physical kid and you know he gave you know usc kind of a physicality that uh that you haven't seen uh I think, you know, as much as Cam Smith was a leader, uh, I think, you know, in his weight loss and trying to, you know, trim down and, 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 and I think some of the physicality may have, have, have gone away. And I, I think Cam and, and Porter kind of got it, almost looked like they got tired out trying to bring the team with them. Uh, there was just a sense of, we keep trying, you know, they need, you know, they're just not necessarily listening to us. Um, it was kind of a, I thought a, you know, a tough year for Porter with his injuries, and Cam just, you know, wishing, wishing they could see things kind of the way he did. But uh, I, I would probably go with Biggie Marshall. All
2: right. What
1: about you, Keely? What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that's a, a good call by Dan, especially just given the depth and and. An experience with the quarterbacks. So that's just a big question mark going into this next season. And I think having a guy like Emo Marshall return would be huge because um, you have that veteran continued, but obviously he's not going to be there. So I think that is something that you're really going to miss um, for USC's defense.
1: I think Dan convinced me to, to double down on Porter because I was just thinking about all the sacks. But he's also like the leader in the weight room. So True. that's like double. So yeah. I, I'm Dan, you convinced me. <laughs>
0: Okay. So <laughs> Steve <laughs> <Well, laughs> miss Porter. We're all gonna miss Porter. I, mean, I think this team he would might have better more influence on this team for some and I don't know why the chemistry feels the way it does. I just get the sense that these guys have reacted to last year in a very positive way. Uh, it was so awful. And they're young enough and athlete, you know, physical enough and all of that 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 I uh, I think what what happened last year, you know, just Porter wasn't able to maybe change the course of things. I think this year uh, he would have he would have been. So yeah, he'll be missed without a doubt.
2: So Steve has another question. He says, likewise, which new player, i.e., freshman or transfer, do you think will have the most impact this year, including special teams?
0: Well, I think you got two uh, yeah. right now. I mean, you got the punter Ben Griffiths, and you got the uh, uh, you got Drake. Jackson I just think uh, you know just with the ability to make that one of a kind sort of a, a, a you know defensive turnaround uh turnaround play as he did with the one-handed you know interception where how did he get there how did he get to the ball how did he catch it how did he convert it uh, uh, those two I think just jump out at you as uh, as the two the two newcomers that uh, that will be on the field and will have uh, you know, an immediate impact. They're just that kind of player. So anytime you can get yeah. that, that's uh, that's a really good thing.
1: I think there's two answers. Those are them. So
2: Yeah, I would say those two. Or if you want to go a different route, maybe Drake London, given how many receivers Graham Harrell wants in an air raid-ish type offense, maybe there is a spot that, that Drake London can come in and, and kind of carve out a spot for himself. Not sure, but question mark. Um, We have another question from Nick Kearns. He says, my question is in regards to the offensive line coaching post-Pete Carroll. Can you rate or put in order from best to worst the O-line coaches uh, past Pete Carroll's days? Drevno, Connolly, Summers, uh, Craig... And Callaway, there's some spelling errors here. Sorry. To me, this has been one of the biggest issues at, of USC success or lack thereof. 2011, 2017, into 2018, they had good years as well as good to great offensive lines. The other years, it lacked. Oh, sorry, <laughs> maybe spell check, people. Uh, <laughs> it, it lacked either because constant change, lack of motivation, etc. Can you elaborate on your valued opinions, Healy and Ryan? Feel free to chime in.
0: Uh. I might plead the fifth here a little bit. I think so much of what the offensive line coaches do have to, have to, you know, you'd have to take into consideration. What's the whole offense doing? How well is it, you know, is it thought out? How well, uh, you know, how well, how, how much does the head coach want to practice, you know, physically? How, you know, we, we see them, they're over in the one corner and they got the sleds and they're, you know, working on their own stuff. So we kind of see them as kind of separate entities, uh, but they're really not. They're they're part of the, yeah. the overall, you know, team approach to, to football. And I don't care what uh, you know Neil Calloway did last year. I'm not sure that was all going to go together in, in any way. And and I do think you know the offensive line coaches in offenses that just haven't had their stuff together. Um, have been a little discouraged, you know, in, in terms of, you know, how they, how they coach them up. But, um, but of that group, you know, you've got three or so that, that really just didn't succeed here. I mean, they just weren't able to, you know, make kind of any, any sort of impact. And, you know, I think obviously, uh, you know, Drevno and Summers, you know, have had the opportunity, uh, you know, to, uh, to make it work. And I think uh, we'll, you know, we'll know, I think we'll be able to evaluate that really well with, uh, you know, with the addition of this year's information that we see with, uh, with Drevno. He likes this group. He thinks they're really athletic. He thinks they're talented. He thinks they, you know, compare favorably or better than any group he's had other than the 49ers. So, uh, so I think, you know, and, and they're coming in with nobody, Thinking any good thoughts about them at all, uh, I I get the sense that they want to be good and that they they know what it takes to be good. I think we've seen in, in recent years kind of teams that wanted to talk about being good but didn't necessarily seem to understand what it took to be good. And you can put that on the you know on the coach uh, you know for sure. Uh, but I think they've kind of scrambled around. Uh, to figure out how everything goes together. This year, it looks like it, even with the, you know, the whole different approach to things, it looks like it goes together in, in a better way. Now, Drevno is learning that, you know, the offense. His kids are learning the offense. It certainly looks like they picked it up. It certainly, you didn't see, uh, you know, the indecisiveness. You didn't see the false starts. You didn't see. You know, the kind of penalties, um, uh, having, you know, Pac-12 officials there every day, you know, certainly helps. But uh, uh, So I I would say Drevno's got a chance to to be, to separate himself, uh, you know, from the rest of the field. And I think there are three guys in in that field that that just didn't have a successful tenure at USC. And then, you know, Coach Summers, I thought, was a real professional and uh, had some, you know, some decent you know, guys to work with and, 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 and did a pretty good job. Yeah. I think the big
1: issue was there was a, like a six year period where they had a different coach every year or two coaches. Um, I think he's put Craig It's James Craig is the one he was talking about. So he was there for three years, I believe. And he's actually with Ed Orgeron Orgeron now at LSU. Uh, But then, you know, Kiffin brought in like Mike Summers to like coach along with Craig when it was a you know real strong argument that Craig should have been fired, but they just like it was like Kiffin was defiant. It's like no, I'm not firing. I'll just bring in another coach. Um, so there was there was just a whole bunch of weird decisions made on the offensive line front. But you know, I think Zach Banner had six offensive line coaches in his five year career. Yeah, like it was crazy. And then you bring in and
0: and and, and probably didn't listen to any of them. Yeah, that's right. My true. guess, Zach uh, didn't need a coach.
1: Uh, But then you bring in Neil Calloway, so you know not you know someone that's a lot of people would argue past his prime. That wasn't some, it wasn't like a young up and coming offensive line coach or some established. You know he was just you know it it wasn't the right fit. They've just made a lot of bad decisions. But the the
0: weird thing was he'd really done a good job at Western Kentucky, and he'd had guys you know guys playing in the league and guys who'd really really uh, you know become very good players at Western Kentucky and played well against the likes of LSU and, you know, Vanderbilt, people like that. And then just got to USC and and just nothing happened. Yeah. It's, it's but like inexorable. you said, part of that's the
1: offense was gumbo too, you know? So there was, yeah, it was, it was, it's a mess. So Nick, yeah, there's it just, it's been a, it's been a comedy of errors as far as USC goes. We'll see what uh, Tim Dribbido can do this second time around.
2: Yeah. I mean, out of all the many coaches that you listed, Zach Banner had the favorite he had was Tim Drevno. So you never know. Oh. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. Uh, Nick Kearns also left another question. He says, My question is who is the one freshman you are looking forward to seeing in fall camp who can be the Drake Jackson of this group? So I think he's suggesting the incoming freshman.
0: Mm. I mean, I think Keenan Kristen. Yeah. I mean, we're watching him on tape uh, run uh, track. And we're thinking, first of all, I didn't know he was that thick. Okay, I look at him and I say, you know, this is this is very Reggie Bush like, you know, kid looking like coming out of San Diego. This is a thick football playing looking guy, and he just what I had no idea he was really that. I mean, he's faster than Reggie. I mean, to, to start there, uh, I I, I want to see what in this offense they can do, just get him the ball in space. Quick, and what the, what happens? I don't know, but uh, I don't know if there's anybody in the Pac-12 that's any faster than he is. And USC hasn't had that guy. USC's had you know guys that had had decent speed, and Adoree was just sort of in a completely separate athletic category. Uh, but this kid, you know, has got got the kind of speed USC hasn't seen, and um, I'm just really looking forward. And I I don't know. That until track season, I would have thought that. But watching his uh, watching his performance in track is, uh, you know, I mean, he I, would have a 10.19 win eight at you know hundred that didn't didn't count. But his, he's below Reggie in the low 10 threes, um, uh, and I'm guessing he's going to drop that a little bit more in the CIF uh, you know championships. But uh, uh, he's really impressive.
1: Yeah, I'd say him. The only other one you could say is is Drake London if if he was completely healthy. But you know you're going to see him more later on. I think so. Yeah, I would go with uh, Kristen for sure.
2: Yeah, I would. I would too. Uh, Chris Trevino and I are actually working on a video with Keenan, um, and we got to see his track meet a couple of weeks ago. And just seeing him in person run, it's just so easy for him. It's ridiculous, and he's just so nice. fast. He's a grown man. He looks. He looks so just grown and he's eighteen or whatever. Um and we watched his workouts and he just brings a professional mentality to to his workouts and, and how he uh I haven't seen him play in pads yet, but he just has this professional mentality and I think that's something that USC needs in the locker room. So I think that's a could be a potential Drake Jackson in the future.
0: Yeah, and he's he was just a three star, right? Is that, you know, one of those uh, just, I think he was a four is, star. I think he it might have been get- four. Did he get up before I just thought he was one that might have been over overlooked a little bit and, uh, uh, he, and yeah.
2: in the composite he's a three star three star but two four seven has him as a four star but he's the okay. 30th yeah, running right. back in uh, the country
0: yeah he's uh, yeah he's uh, he's exciting again the speed USC has not hit and, yeah. and what you saw with Reggie it matters just, they're just, you know, there's something about it. If you, if you can play football and you have that kind of speed, it really matters. I mean, there are things you can do. Uh, I do think they will uh, they'll uh, have some special plays for him. I think all the stuff we didn't see in the spring uh, is the stuff that JT called the shot plays, where you take a shot. I think some of the shots they're going to take are going to be with, uh, with Keenan. And it's just going to be interesting to see Um, You know how that works out. I think uh, I really like you know the possibilities though.
2: We have a question from Mike from Arizona. He says, looking back at your comments regarding spring ball, I was super excited to hear Clay was finally addressing the discipline or lack thereof, and by bringing Pac-12 refs to practice, especially the part about them explaining what they were doing wrong. It has been so frustrating over the last few years to see plays called back and potential momentum swings shot down. Also happy to hear about the increased intensity uh, and having fun again. My question is: Can they hire refs in August to continue this education? If not, what can Clay Helton do to keep that focus moving forward, especially with Mr. Drew Richmond coming to town and his well-known false start problem? Thank you and fight on, Mike from
0: Arizona. That's a good question. I don't know what the limitations are uh, in you know in the August practice going in. I know you know we've seen uh, you know, officials in August. Hey, that's a good question. And I don't, you would think if you're a Pac-12 official, you know, that's your way to get better and to get, you know, up to speed. So you would think you would want to work, uh, work games. I know in basketball, they regularly, uh, you know, hire, uh, college officials, uh, you know, to, to do, uh, you know, especially all the scrimmages and that, but, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Can you do it every single practice in um, in August? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think I, I absolutely don't have an answer to that. I don't know if there's some limitation, yeah. um, say, by the Pac-12, uh, where you're getting too close to the season and, and all that. That I don't know. Uh, we'll check on that. That's a good question.
1: Yeah. And, you know, having a little bit more Pac-12 money would have helped that, too, I guess, but <laughs> we, we digress. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> We got a text from Justin in the Crenshaw area. He says, "Love the show. I would like to learn more about the structure of the USC Athletic Department. Who works under Swan? Who are sports finances? Uh, how are sports sports finances? What aspect of football makes the money? Ticket sales, TV?"
0: Uh, let's see. I, I mean, I think think the in talking to finance, I think the budget's up to. Um, 110 million, something like that. Uh, USC is a private school; they don't have to turn over all the books and all of that. They do have to do their IRS 990s, uh, uh, but you don't always you don't see exactly. You don't have the USA Today does all the, you know, the the budget and what have you of all the schools. And, and with Stanford and USC schools like that, the private schools you, you sort of are guesstimating. Uh, but uh, but if they're only getting say 31.3 million from uh, TV, uh, you know you're talking about another 80 million that has to come in otherwise. so from uh, you know donations, development money, uh, ticket money, uh, you know basketball, uh, obviously uh, some there. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it, uh, unfortunately for USC and the PAC 12, you're not getting, you know, half of the revenue or the bulk of the revenue from, um, from your, your TV deals and all of that. But, uh, but uh, yeah, USC has, gosh, I'm trying to think the last time we counted the number of employees uh, for the athletic department, it's, uh, there are way more people working for the athletic department than, than you, were, you would guess. And uh, um, I'm trying to think, did we get up to 140 or something like that? Um, I guess there aren't as many after the FBI came through. Uh, but, uh, there's still, you know, a lot of money, you know, a lot of people raising money, a lot of people, um, you know, overseeing a lot of, you know, different sports and facilities. Uh, uh, Steve Lopes is the chief financial officer and chief operating officer. And, um, so he would, would be nominally the number two person. And then number three is gone. Donna Heinel was the number one, you know, the top uh, women's administrator. And then you have people over. You know, like uh, you know, sports media Tim Tasselone and um, the sports fundraising is uh, Ron Orr, uh, and then you know you have a lot of people you know assisting them. You have uh, people you know running the business office and the facilities people, and a lot of people. It's a uh, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty big enterprise, and they basically break even in terms of the books. So, you know, if it's like uh, you know, they take in 110 million and they spend 110 million. Uh nobody uh you're not putting any money away if you're in college athletics today, uh no matter what. But uh, uh other than that, I don't I don't think I I don't think I've got a good answer in terms of, you know, how you want to break it all all down. It's just uh US is kind of in the the middle of the pack. I think they spend about as much money on football uh, 40 some million as, say, Clemson. So USC and, and, and Clemson, now, it's probably a lot cheaper to run a football program in Clemson, South Carolina, than it is in Los Angeles. But USC would be, uh, you know, in that area. I don't think they spend as much as Oregon or uh, Washington. Uh, certainly don't spend as much as Alabama, which is like $69 million or whatever it is on football, or Ohio State or Texas or Texas A&M yeah lsu usc is not you know in that ballpark at all the the you know 50 to 60 million dollar uh ballpark that's uh that's not where usc is but they're not so far out that they you know they can't be competitive
1: we uh we, we just went over the hour marks we'll try to we got a bunch of questions left so we'll try to like kind of get through okay. these a little bit faster so uh it's, I put. I blame Keeley. Oh
2: know, so. yeah, of course, blame me. <laughs> uh, so Jim B is a little frustrated, and he wanted to let us know. He says, "Why are the trustees still holding a job at SC? Hiring Pat Hayden was a bad decision. Hiring Lynn Swan is starting to look like a bad decision, or at least his decisions so far haven't been good. Hiring Sark was a bad decision. The board of trustees had the final say on that decision. Clay Hilton wasn't the guy. wasn't the guy one would hire, at least not if you're looking." For At his past resume, they passed up a lot of good coaches to hire Sark and Helton. The decision to not fight the NCAA in court was a bad one. The Coliseum renovation is a joke. Why would you go from 92,000 to 77,000? Usually you add seats. Has any major university redone their stadium with less seats? Isn't that going to cut down on crowd noise? And what about the people behind the glass inside the structure? You wouldn't even be able to hear them. Don't you want crowd noise if if you're the home team? Fight on, Jim B.
0: Well, Jim, uh, at least you've got the uh, uh, the sound from the rest of the people bounces off the uh, off the windows of the Coliseum uh, Tower, so uh, maybe that'll help. I don't know. Uh, yeah, have have uh, some schools gone down? Yeah, actually, Arizona State went from like seventy five to fifty three in their three hundred million dollar renovation. Uh, Cal spent three hundred twenty eight million or whatever. <clears throat> on their renovation, and they went from I think about seventy-five to I don't know if they maybe sixty now. Uh, is there a pattern here? Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, who else in the, anybody else in Pac-12? Uh, oh, Stanford went from eighty-four thousand, tore that thing down, terrible old stadium, and they put a new one up for fifty thousand. So there does seem to be a pattern in the Pac-12 of going the other way. Uh, but, um, uh, in the SEC, uh, nobody In the big 10, uh, nobody that I can think of has gone, has gone the other direction. So, uh, uh, and the ACC can't think of anybody that's, it's gone in that direction, but the PAC 12 kind of, kind of going in a different direction. As far as board of trustees making those decisions, I think, there are so many people on the board of trustees and uh, there, I think it's up to 57 voting members. Now, a lot of them not in, you know, not in, in the U S uh, it's, uh, I, I don't think there are hands on. I don't think you'd want a hands on board of that many people. I think you got to trust the people, you know, that you, entr- you know, the people you entrust to be the president and to make those decisions. And the president's got to entrust the people, with the expertise in the different areas um, uh, you know that we're talking about. And I think one of the problems is USC has hired people who had very, very little expertise in the areas they needed to have expertise. I mean, we can thank goodness that the airlines do not hire pilots the way USC hires athletic directors uh, or football coaches. Uh, that would not be a good you know, you wouldn't be on want to be on those planes, uh, and, and you hope your surgeon uh, is an expert in uh, you know what he's what he's doing. But uh, USC hasn't hasn't kind of gone that way, and it's bit, you know it's bitten them in the butt. And uh, we'll see what happens, you know, with the new with the new president. There's been pretty good churn already in terms of you know the top executive suites at USC, uh, and, and we'll see where that goes. But but I think you've got to trust the people that are running the university to know what they're doing and, and to know that they're doing what's really good for the university. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, that's been what's happening exactly uh, that, that those people. And and I don't know that, you know, the president of the university has to really understand football, but you've got to have people around him who do. And or understand, you know, architecture when you're talking about the Coliseum or understand, you know, the L.A. fan base or or just a lot of things that you need to understand. And uh, I just think for some reason, USC has been lacking at that next level where you need the experts uh, to be and uh, and the people making the final decision or, or at least okaying the final decision haven't gotten the best information that they needed to get.
2: So we have an interesting email from Rich. He says, when the subject of Urban Meyer comes up on the podcast, it seems like you guys don't like the idea of him being coach. Why? Yes, he's got some baggage. So do most of USC's previous coaches. Look at Pete Carroll. He was an unsuccessful NFL coach. One was an alcoholic. What is wrong with you guys? You don't want a winning coach. Seems like you'd rather stick with Clay Helton and spend all day complaining about him and the team. Hire Meyer. Rich. Nice. It's funny. Like, no, Rich,
1: I'm just, for me, it, you know, if USC has a head coaching vacancy, I just want them to hire the best available guy. That very well could be Urban Meyer. I mean, he's, you know, if you you hire him, you have a pretty good shot at winning a national championship. I'm not like anti-Urban Meyer or anything like that. Uh, I just want them to go out and just hire someone at the level that USC should hire, and that just hasn't happened. So, uh, yeah, I got no problem with him rich. I know there's some moral things there, but I'm, I'm fine. I'm at this point. I'm just beyond all that. It's like, fine. Just he's available. He's in LA. You need a coach. Get her Meyer. And
0: yeah. I mean, I think the whole issue is, is the timing right, you know, with his, uh, you know, what happened in Florida, what happened at Ohio state kind of the nature of those things. Does that make it difficult, you know, to come into the USC situation with, some of the things that have happened with people here at USC and in kind of the me too, uh, you know, culture of today. Uh, You know, where does that, is that, you know, some people would say that's a fight. USC doesn't need to have Uh, the flip side of that is how often has USC hired someone like that? I guess the answer would be never unless you count Howard Jones who had won a national championship at Yale and was Newt Rockney's pick. And then, we'll give him credit. USC tried to hire Newt Rockne. Uh, and Newt Rockney said, I don't think I can come. I'm staying at Notre Dame, but here you ought to hire this guy. Who was that? Where do you think Howard Jones was, riding when USC hired him? Uh,
1: Iowa. Iowa.
0: There you go. <laughs> wow, here we go. Again. Maybe they're so mad. You think I read your so book. Mad?
1: Or is it, is, huh? was, it, was that your book? That was in your book, right? All right. Yeah,
0: yeah. He was uh, fr- He was actually from right outside of Cincinnati. Uh, originally, but went to Yale. You know, all American, one national champion there. and moved around a lot, but I think Iowa was his last stop. And I guess he was he had the Hawkeyes on the on the verge, and then here comes USC and and swooped him, away, you know, stole him away. Uh, but uh, uh, other than that, USC would have never made a move like an Urban Meyer move, and uh, that would be that would be an interesting move. It would it would change the culture uh, for sure. And uh, I sit back and watch. I mean, I think the first thing you got to say is I hope they go, you know, if you're a USC fan, you probably got to be saying, I hope they go undefeated and Clay Helton moves from number 51 to number, you know, four or something on the, on the list. Uh, That would, that would be, I think the preferable way to go for everybody at USC. But uh, uh, there are people who, who, inexplicably almost seem to be rooting against USC in order to, uh, clear everything out and, 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 and move in the right direction. I don't think you know, I couldn't do that. And I don't see how anybody could, but, uh, but it certainly seems like that's, uh, that's out there.
2: Yeah. I just, I don't understand how you can come away with the fact that we don't want to cover a winning team i mean that's always so much better than covering a team that's five and seven yeah um and i i also just don't think pete carroll's baggage is comparable to urban meyer's yeah. baggage so i just don't feel like that's a, a good comparison there yeah um we have an email from dan class of 1962 uh, he says thanks for keeping the calcium fiasco front and center i do have a solution for the empty seats with no view of the field problem Dress them up in USC (laughs) colors and change to ram colors on Sundays. From the blimp they will be seen as spectators. Or you can go to the weekend at Bernie's route and connect their arms to string in order to do the wave. It would be a great sight from the air. Do you remember when USC and other colleges did start card stunts at halftime? It could also be a card stunt section that is permanently in place. (laughs) I would also like to know the thoughts from all of you about the proposed Yeah, robots, there you go. The proposed NCAA rule to allow college athletes to benefit from the use of their image, the O'Bannon lawsuit – this will be another case of the NCAA having no clue, but USC may have an advantage being in the L.A. advertising market. Your thoughts on the mannequin slash card stunt proposal and the payment of athletes for the use of their image in games and advertising would be appreciated. Fight on, class of 1962, and old enough to remember great card stunts at halftimes.
1: Hey, real quick, that for Dan, uh, this is a great idea, by the way, the mannequins, but I think what you could do is there be some promotion where, hey, you're going to come to the game by yourself here's a free USC mannequin. You just have to put them in one of these dead seats so you can take the carpool lane to get to the stadium. Oh, true. And then you put the mannequin you put the mannequin in its seat Then you just go pick it up afterwards and drive home.
0: Perfect. You like, it's that? like people rent, you know, they rent those cushions for their, you know, yeah. their seats uh, and, you know, they're there. Well, this one, you could bring it with you uh, and maybe it gives you uh, the right to have a drink at the, uh, you know, in the uh, tower. And um, Don't push it down. Uh, <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> hey, I, believe it or not. Oh, I think my first trip to Orange County—I was for a bowl game or whatever. Somehow, I ran into a guy whose company made mannequins for crowd shots for the movies. Honest to God, I think it's the only company in the in the world maybe that was making mannequins. I've actually met that guy. I don't know where he is now, but he—he uh, he was at the how uh, oh, the Fashion Island. had uh, uh, his offices at Fashion Island, but he made mannequins. For the movie, so I uh, don't know if he's still in business or not, but uh, oh, that's a great idea, Dan. Thank you very much. And, and maybe you could kind of dress them up in their own, you know, maybe give them a card section. If they, you could get animatronic ones, uh, they could do little card stunts and, and whatever. That'd be uh, that'd be really great. Yeah.
2: yeah. What about the whole Ed O'Bannon lawsuit and whatnot, Dan?
0: Yeah, I mean it does give an advantage to certain places, schools. If you're, uh, you know, if they're going to say. Uh, because, I mean, what what they're finding out now are these kids are now uh, more maybe in basketball or, or some of the football kids in the Southeast. They, you know, have their own websites. And they, you know, I mean, if you uh, say you were Lori Laughlin's daughter going to USC, what, Olivia Jade, and she was being paid all kinds of money to be an influencer uh, on her blogs and, you know, with products and what have you, uh, you think these kids – who were really, you know, highly, you know, visible, um, you know, high school football prospects couldn't, uh, you know, develop those kinds of opportunities. I don't know how they, if they can regulate them or not, but, uh, it would be, you know, I, I find it hard to imagine that the NCA could go down that road too far because the potential for what would happen in certain places if certain kids were allowed to monetize their image or, you know, their brand uh, would be off the chart. I mean, with in, in, in certain recruiting battles, let's say, uh, I mean, yeah, it could get a little, it could imagine. get a little nutty. Oh my goodness. But it's hard I mean, to like,
1: say it's like your image, but you know, someone like Juju that was really good on social media, you get a whole bunch of followers. Well, you can get, you know, paid you know if you tweet something you can. it's like you're promoting something like you can get paid for things like that you know to review a product or things i mean there's there's like a whole this yeah this would be open up a whole new world and potential <laughs> there could be some potential uh, problems yeah
0: i mean you know just say i well i love my uh new nike you know please or i i love my you know workout gear by so-and-so or whatever i mean uh you just you don't have to think too you know far down the road to figure out where that would go. I mean, if uh, what was it uh, the the Laughlin daughter had uh, two million followers on, on Facebook and one point something million on Instagram or whatever, and uh, and had all kinds of products who were you know paying her to be an influencer. Um, that I don't know where that goes if you put it into uh, college sports.
2: so we have one final email from guile smiles he says there have been much discussion about the decline of high school football in general in california and other blue states with less and less participation because of its perceived violence and potential for energy in injury, etc. Meanwhile, in the red states, and specifically the south, the warrior culture of old continues to persist, and high school football shows no sign of slowing down as it a rite of passage for those cultures. In your opinion, is there truth to the saying that red states produce national champions in football, while blue states produce national champions in water polo and volleyball? Please discuss.
0: You know I mean, I would think without a doubt, the best high school football programs in in America or in California I mean you know the one two programs right now might be like modern day and Bosco, and I don't think anybody's close to be honest there's there isn't I mean Texas high school football is fabulous uh, the stadiums, the amount of you know interest in the you know the fans and the you know the towns and all of that there's never going to be anything like that. Uh, In California, I don't think quite with that. And the same with, uh, you know, Georgia and Florida. Uh, They're in a, you know, in a different place. Uh, I I would say, you know, with the Southeastern Conference, for example, every state's different. Tennessee's kind of dropped off uh, in terms of high school football uh, not being what it was. Uh, uh, You don't see that, you know, Kentucky, Missouri. I mean, a lot of the Southeastern Conference states, you know, don't have, uh, you know, great uh, necessarily great high school football. And nobody right now has programs that can challenge, uh, you know, the very top programs in, in California. I mean, it's not even close. I mean, modern day and in and, and the last few years and, and, and Bosco are just so much. I mean, I, I've told this story before, but my Cincinnati St. Xavier High School uh, team won the Ohio State Championship, I guess, three years ago, four years ago. And uh, and they played Bosco in the opener, in cincinnati and bosco beat him like 35 to 6 i mean it was it was just again it wasn't a game bosco is, is was so far so much farther advanced uh in terms just of the physicality and depth and uh and top end talent and um and the offensive you know sophistication and all that so i think there's a, you know it's you got to look at it different ways there may be you know slightly fewer you know kids playing football in california and one of the reasons is there's so many other sports you can play I mean, you can play baseball 12 months a year. Uh, you know, there's no place uh, with better high school basketball, even though they don't have the big gym. Uh, so I think it's a a more sophisticated analysis that you need than just, you know, the South has got the warrior mentality and and all that. Yeah, they do have spring football that comes first and they practice in pads and baseball waits till spring football is over. And those kinds of things. I mean, uh, you know, they, they will kid you that they have two seasons in, uh, you know, in high schools and in the South, uh, you know, football season and then spring football season. And everything else is, is afterwards. But uh, so it's a challenge. It's a challenge for the West Coast. I don't think there's any question. But uh, the West Coast is the top end talent and the top end high schools. Uh, you throw uh, Bishop Gorman in there. Uh, you throw, uh, you know, uh, the team that probably started kind of modern great high school football programs Concord De La Salle. Uh, California is a big part of of high school football nationally, and uh, and you're never and you're not going to get away from that. I mean, it, they're just getting better and better. I mean, however many coaches Bosco had something going on a uh, a week or so ago, and you had coaches from everywhere, and it, you know, came in to you know, see what was going on. So, uh, so I, I think, I think that kind of an excuse for, you know, people maybe not getting the job done, but I I don't think it's an excuse for uh, saying that the West coast can't compete.
1: Yeah. You know, we get, I mean, Key, I get your thoughts on this too, but we, you know, we cover a lot of these high school events. They're as big as ever. There's seven on seven every weekend. I, I, if there's going to be less high school football, it's probably some small program that would never produce a division one player anyway. Like you're, the, the programs that produce Division I players, uh, they're still around, and they're thriving. So I I don't see that as being an issue, at least from what I've seen. I don't know. Do you get that sense, Keely? Or?
2: Yeah, I definitely don't. I mean, just being at the – I went to a passing tournament this weekend, and you're seeing Bosco and Modern Day, and they take football very seriously. And yeah. they're doing spring football now. They're having spring showcases, and co- college coaches are coming out and evaluating players. I mean, even just – Orange County in general the sports mentality there growing up and playing sports there it's insane like and you have the money flowing in like parents will pay a lot of money for their their kids to do sports all year round and, and the warrior mentality is there too yes it's different in the south and that's true but football is crazy down here too it's yeah. unreal and I mean modern day won the national championship so it's also you know it's it's serious here
0: But the other thing is, and that uh, that you didn't ever see. And when I came out to California, I don't think we'd ever seen private coaches before. I mean, that wasn't that was just not that was unheard of. I mean, your high school coach was your coach. Now, you know, these kids, private coaches, in some ways, are maybe more their coaches than, and you know, I mean, there just wasn't a a market exactly, uh, you know, back home for private coaches. Uh, That's not the case in California. They get private coaches, you know, are just extremely important and, you know, high quality, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, the idea, I mean, there's a reason, uh, so many of the top quarterbacks come from California. I mean, you know, that you got the athletes and you got the coaches and, uh, and you got the great weather. They don't have to, you know, worry about, you know, playing in the, you know, the snow and the ice and the rain. And, and, and they just, you know, they, they do more things, uh, 12 months a year. And, uh, and it kind of shows. So, uh, so yeah, I I, mean, I think, you know, Orange County is a, is a perfect example of, you know, high school football. I don't think it's dropped off. It may have dropped off at, say, Long Beach Poly, for example, And, and whether that's coaching or, or what it is. Uh, you know, they were the, the number one program for producing NFL players and, and all of that and, and may still be. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's a reason that modern day, is I think one of only two high schools with two Heisman Trophy winners, uh, and the other one is a is a military prep school that didn't exactly have just high school kids. So, uh, um, no, I don't I don't think California's dropped off at all. Yeah,
2: this might be an overgeneralization, but do you think offensive linemen or just lineman mentality is different in in the West rather than the South? I feel like linemen in the in the West are kind of just low-key, like, they're mellow pl- guys, you know, they're kind of the funny guys in, in school. I feel like it's just different from the guys we see that come out of, out of the South and whatnot.
0: Yeah, I think that's the flip side of all of the upside of the 7-on-7s. Seven I think the downside is a little bit more, you know, you get more sophisticated, you get more, uh, you know, timed up, you get more skilled players doing all the things that you do in 7 on seven but and I know you know now they're doing more a little bit more lineman kind of seven on seven stuff but I think for a while that was that that sort of slipped through the cracks is well what are you doing for the linemen? you know if you're doing a lot for the you know the skill guys uh, you know on the defensive you know secondary linebackers what are you doing for the the, the guys you know up front and uh, I think that got lost a little bit you're right there they were kind of the uh, you didn't have the hard grunt guys. Uh, you didn't see that on the west coast, and that wasn't the case for years. USC. I always thought the first times I ever noticed them were for the offensive, the big, athletic offensive lineman who can run, and we haven't probably seen those as much recently um, with the ability to dominate. And uh, you know, you probably need to to do a better job of that. And I know the, the kid from. Folsom, who was the first-round draft pick who went to Alabama and started as a freshman against USC. you are probably got to try to keep those kids at home. I know he was sort of an Alabama kid, but uh, uh, you got to figure out a way to keep when you get guys that are that good, you got to figure out how to keep them out here. But, uh, but yeah, I think you're right. The offensive lineman might be the one place and maybe those really big, sick uh, linebackers like EA. Uh, maybe you haven't seen as many of of those out here as you might see, uh, you know, in the Southeastern conference.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's more ready-made players, uh, in, in, in the South. You're seeing more than here. There's more projecting. I think there's more projecting to do, but if you look at the, uh, like I interviewed, uh, uh, Jeffrey Percy, uh, from, uh, Jay Sarah over the weekend and he's six, seven, but he's like two sixty, And, uh, you know, he knows he's going to put on weight when he gets to college. But I think the the stat was like four of the top five offensive linemen drafted were like 250 pounds in high school. So they weren't ready-made guys that came out. You know, they weren't 315 pounds and and 6'6 six, six coming out of high school. And, you know, it takes a little bit more. It, maybe it's a little bit more of a crapshoot, but it's more of an evaluation process where you have to figure out these guys. They're athletic enough. Oh, they do shot put. They're uh, discus throwers. Or they play basketball. And they're six seven and two sixty. We can put weight on them, and they're going to be uh, an all you know all American offensive tackle. So I think there's some of that too. But that that's harder as for coaches because you're putting more emphasis on evaluation and of course developing those players.
2: And specifically for Percy, he's a tight end turn tackle. Yeah. So it's not even like he's a guy who's been doing this his whole growing up. He's a tackle. No, he was a tight end. <laughs>
1: yeah. But he's he's aware that like you know in this draft, this last draft, I think it was four of the top five offensive linemen they weren't. 300 pounds in high school you know yeah. they, they were 250 260 something like that so all right yep. well i think we should probably wrap it up here we went well, how long did we go we went pretty long
2: oh usually yeah close to an
1: hour and a half congrats too,
2: if you made it this far yeah not too tweet bad us a pineapple emoji if you did
1: for off uh for off season tweet us a pineapple emoji okay yeah, uh a little for insider a little uh off season hour and a half podcast that's not too bad i mean a lot of questions a lot of good topics to kind of get in in the beginning but uh thanks everyone out there for listening we're going to actually just got a confirmation our live show on Wednesday uh you know if you like first round draft picks and all Americans from USC Lawrence Jackson is going to join us on the live show so, so that should be fun uh, and our our uh, state of the union um uh, June 1st Saturday June 1st from 3 to 6 at Common Space Brewery that's still going on uh send us an email let us know if you can uh, make that we got a lot of people Coming, Arash Markazi is going to be there. Bruce Feldman uh, is going to be there from the Athletic and, and from Fox Sports. Arash, obviously from the LA Times, former USC Daily Trojan writer. Lawrence Jackson is going to join that too, and Jake Olson is go- is coming out to that. So I got to see him over the weekend, like I mentioned. Uh, cool stuff. I uh, hope you guys can make it June first. Free, just come. You know, but whatever you want to. They'll have uh, foods outside, food trucks and stuff, and then there'll be uh, you know beer, lots of different beer selections. If you like that sort of thing. So, but you know, you buy your own, but you don't, there's no charge. We're not buying all your beer and everything. <laughs> I might buy you a beer. Come up to me and say, hey, I listen to the podcast. I'll buy you a beer. How's that? But,
2: wow. More secrets if you listen shh, all the way to the end.
1: Only if you tweet a pineapple emoji at us and then you say, <laughs> that's your want, ticket for yeah, a free. And then, buy a, and then I'll give you a free beer yeah. Yeah, if you do that. Um, awesome. Well, okay.
0: And the good, news, the good news is with the Ross, you usually get uh, dancing girls, right? I haven't yeah. He usually uh, brings his own. So, uh, you know. Don't miss
1: it. Yeah, nice. All right, well, that's Keely Yor. I'm Ryan Abraham, and that's Dan Weber. I don't know why I said me before, Dan. Sorry about that. (laughs) That's Dan Weber. That's Keely Yor. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple.